Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, warm welcome to those who are new or visiting. Uh, my name is Dan. I've been a member and part of this church for a few years now, and it's my privilege to be sharing God's word with you this morning. And uh, as has been mentioned, uh, we've been in a sermon series called Deep Breath, Waiting for Pentecost. And the first Pentecost uh, occurred 2,000 years ago. It was 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus, and it's the day when God poured out the Holy Spirit upon the church uh, and the first followers of Jesus. And so for the last few weeks, uh, we've been digging into the scriptures as a church to see uh, what it teaches us about the Holy Spirit. And uh, Pentecost is, is actually just one week away now. Uh, it's happening next week on Sunday, and today... We're going to be looking at the role of prayer and the coming of the Spirit. And that is the title of our message today. Prayer and the coming of the Spirit. And uh, the first thing that I'd like to do is to remind us of the simple but profound truth that our prayers matter. Our prayers matter. And I know that sometimes it can be hard for us to believe that. Um, After all, if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you know the feeling and the experience of seemingly unanswered prayers. Uh, We can be praying for something regularly and diligently uh, for months um, and years, but as time goes on, we can start to lose heart and we can stop praying for that thing or or maybe we might stop praying altogether. Uh, we can doubt whether our prayers make any difference at all. But Jesus has something to say about this. So let's look at what Jesus teaches us about prayer in Luke chapter 18. It says, Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with a plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? So, in this passage, Jesus is using a common form of logic where he argues from the lesser to the greater. So, the lesser is the unjust judge who doesn't care for God or people. And the greater is a God of justice who loves and cares for us. So if the lesser, the unjust judge, will respond to persistent asking, then how much more will God, 
who is righteous and good, respond to the prayers of his people. And the point Jesus is making is is quite clear, and it's in the first verse that we read. Jesus is using this parable, this story, to encourage us to always pray and to not give up on praying. In other words, our prayers matter. And built into this teaching is the assumption that there will be times when prayer is hard. Uh, Why else would Jesus tell this story? He knows that there will be times when we look at our lives and we look at the state of our world and we want to give up on praying. And so Jesus tells this parable and teaches us to always pray and to not give up. Now, prayer is, of course, a massive topic and theme. But for today, since we're preparing ourselves for Pentecost, I want to draw our attention and focus on prayer as it relates to the coming of the Spirit. You see, the scriptures repeatedly show us that there is an intimate link and connection between prayer and the Holy Spirit being poured out. So we're going to look at a few different passages of scripture. And uh, the first example of this connection between prayer and the spirit can be seen when Jesus was baptized at the beginning of his ministry. And so it says in Luke chapter three, when all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, Heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Notice how it says that as he was praying, as Jesus was in the act of praying, the Holy Spirit descends upon him, And Jesus hears the voice of the Father saying, you are my son, I love you, and I'm pleased with you. It's a beautiful scene, and it's our first example of prayer being linked with the coming of the Spirit. Another example can be found in Acts chapter 1. And before we read this passage, let me just explain what has just taken place. So, Jesus has just finished telling his followers not to leave Jerusalem. And uh, he commands them to stay and to wait in the city until they receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So then uh, it says in Acts chapter 1, verse 12, Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. And when they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the woman and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. So the disciples obey what Jesus commanded. They go back to Jerusalem, and they stay and wait, and it says that they were constantly in prayer. 
Now, what exactly they were praying about, it, it doesn't say. Uh, they might have been praying about a lot of different types of things, but one thing that I believe that they were praying about was for the Holy Spirit. After all, the outpouring of the Spirit is the main theme and focus of Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2. But another reason why it's likely that the disciples were praying for the Spirit is because Jesus had earlier in his ministry taught them that they should pray for the Spirit. Look what it says in Luke chapter 11. And Jesus, again, here is teaching about prayer. So Jesus says to his disciples, So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So again, Jesus is here using the argument where he goes from the lesser to the greater. If earthly fathers who are evil and sinful know how to give good gifts to their children, then how much more will our perfect and good Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Jesus lays it out pretty clearly that our Father in heaven will give the Spirit to those who ask. And so again, this is why I believe that the disciples were praying for the Spirit in Acts chapter 1. They were applying this teaching from Jesus. And so it says that they were constantly in prayer. And then around 10 days later, the day of Pentecost arrives and the Holy Spirit is powerfully poured out upon them. Now there's many more passages in Scripture that illustrate this connection between prayer and the coming of the Spirit, but uh, for time's sake and just for this morning, I just want to share just one more example, and uh, it's actually one of my personal favorite passages in the Bible, and it's found in Acts chapter 4, verses 23 to 31, and uh, again, before we read in Acts 4, uh, let me just set the stage and provide context for what we're about to read. So in Acts chapter 1, as we just read, the disciples were constantly in prayer. Then in Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost arrives and the Spirit is poured out upon the church. And then this causes a huge uh, commotion and scene in the city. And Peter boldly preaches that about Jesus. And then 3,000 people are baptized in a single day. And then in Acts chapter 3, it tells us how Peter and John heal a man who could not walk, who was disabled from birth. And this healing, again, creates amazement among the people, and Peter once again starts, starts preaching and teaching about Jesus. Now, the religious leaders of the day, the ones that put Jesus to death, 
naturally, they're very upset about this, so uh, they arrest Peter and John. And after arresting them, they question them, uh, interrogate them, and then the chief priests threaten and command Peter and John to no longer speak or teach in the name of Jesus. So now, let's continue the story and pick up in Acts 4, starting in verse 23. So it says, on their release, that's release from prison, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up, and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. And now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were filled, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. So there it is again, this connection and this relationship between prayer and the coming of the Holy Spirit. God's people pray. Uh, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and then the Spirit fills them powerfully. Now, at this point, I think it might be helpful to address some objections and concerns that some people have in regards to prayer and the Spirit. Some Christian theologians would argue that we no longer need to pray for the Holy Spirit since the day of Pentecost already happened. The Spirit has already been poured out on the church, and therefore we don't need to pray again for the Spirit to come. Similarly, there are those who say that we are automatically filled with the Spirit when we believe, and therefore we don't need to pray separately for the Spirit to come and fill us. And still others argue that we are not filled with the Spirit until we're actually baptized into Christ. Uh, they say that baptism is the point at which we receive the Spirit. And finally, there are those who object and say that it's inappropriate to say prayers asking for the Spirit to come since the Spirit is omnipresent. He's everywhere all at once and already here with us. Now, these are all 
legitimate and, and, and complicated theological issues, and, and there's many details to these arguments and counter-arguments that can be made. But I think that the passage that we just read in Acts chapter 4 helps us to navigate through these objections and concerns. The story in Acts 4 shows us that being filled with the Spirit is not limited to just conversion or baptism or some other one-time event. Again, Peter and John and the other disciples, they'd already been filled with the Spirit on the day of Pentecost. That was in Acts chapter 2. And yet, even though God was using them in a powerful way to proclaim the name of Jesus and to heal the sick, after being arrested by the religious leaders and after being threatened by them, the disciples realized once again their need and dependence on God. And so it says that they raised their voices together in prayer. They cried out to God for boldness and power. And then after praying, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And then these same Christians who already were filled with the Spirit, they're once again powerfully filled with the Spirit's presence and His power. Now let's pause and, and think about this for a minute. These disciples, they had walked with Jesus for three years, and they saw all the miracles and healings that he did. And then they saw him die on a cross. And then three days later, Jesus rose from the dead. And then over the course of 40 days, they met and encountered the resurrected Jesus. And then they saw Jesus ascend into the heavens before their very eyes. And then they experienced the powerful filling of the Spirit on the day of Pentecost. If these disciples, after having all these experiences, still realized their need and dependence on more of God's power, and if they needed to be filled again with the Spirit, then how much more do we need God's power? And how much more do we need to be filled again with the Spirit? And so let me ask a genuine and sincere question. Why don't we cry out for more of God's power? And why don't we cry out for more of His Spirit? Why don't we pray like the church in Acts 4? Let's take a closer look at the three specific things that they prayed for. So firstly, they pray for boldness. They say, Lord, enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Number two, they, they pray for physical healings. They ask, Lord, stretch out your hand to heal. Number three, they Pray for signs and wonders. They ask, Lord, perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. 
Now, I think some of us might be feeling a little uncomfortable with some of these prayers. The first prayer, uh, boldness to speak God's word, probably most of us are okay with. It's a good evangelistic prayer. The second prayer, though, asking God to stretch out his hand to heal. I think some of us might be okay with it, but others of us might not be sure if, if God still heals directly today. And the third prayer, asking for signs and wonders, I think most of us would probably be, be uncomfortable with that. I mean, I'm certainly uncomfortable with it. I've never asked God to perform signs and wonders through the name of Jesus. But part of what it means to be a follower of Christ is that we submit to the authority of the scriptures. And our personal experiences or lack of experiences should not control how we think or, or what we believe to be biblical or okay. And prayers two and three are right alongside prayer one. And after asking for these three requests, the whole rest of the book of Acts shows that God honored all three prayers. God does enable them to speak his word with boldness. God does stretch out his hand and many people are healed. And God does perform many signs and wonders through the name of Jesus. And so all three prayers are biblical prayers that the early church prayed and all three prayers were answered and honored by God. So why don't we pray for boldness? Why don't we pray for more healings? Why don't we pray for signs and wonders? Why don't we pray for more of the Spirit's presence and power in our lives? I think that one reason why we don't pray for these kinds of things is, we, is because we don't know that more is possible. We don't know that more is available. And at least certainly this was the case for me. For many years, I just didn't know that there was more of God's power and more of the Holy Spirit that I could experience. But, but as I shared Briefly, a couple weeks ago, um, eight years ago, I entered one of the hardest and most difficult seasons of my life. And it was the beginning of a long desert season for me where I was so desperate for God to reveal himself and to show himself to me. And the primary question that was just the cry of my heart was I, I asked what difference does the Holy Spirit make in our lives? What actual difference does the Holy Spirit make in the life of a Christian? And as I cried out to God and, and prayed and prayed and asked this question over and over again, God began to graciously show me the more of his spirit and the more of his power. So first, God showed me that 
The desert season that I had just entered into was a work of the Spirit. In Luke chapter 4, verse 1, it says that the Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness. The Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness for a time of testing and trial and where all the comforts of the world are taken away and all you can do is cling to the word of God and throw yourself upon God's mercy. The Spirit also began to show me the varied ways in which God speaks today. First and foremost, the Spirit led me by Scripture. God would illuminate and highlight different passages and verses that would speak to me and give me specific direction for circumstances in life. The Spirit also led me by transforming my heart and my desires and and placing in me burdens and passions from the Lord. The Spirit also led me through many strange coincidences and bizarre circumstances where it was just so obvious that God was speaking and leading me. The Spirit has also spoken to me through prophecy. I never knew that that was an actual thing, but it is. It's a spiritual gift that is talked a lot about in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And uh, I've personally received incredibly accurate prophetic words in my life that were later confirmed to be true. I've also been used by God to give prophetic words to other people. Now, I don't have a lot of experience with prophecy, but I want to share just two quick stories that happened to me recently. So last year in October, um, I went to a a conference um, in the States. And uh, at the conference, um, I think on the third day, um, the speaker just said, uh, I think there are people here who, uh, they're just weary and tired, and they don't know how they're going to go on. So if that's you, just stand up, and the people around you will pray for you. So um, to my right, uh, this big, you know, six-foot-five, 300-pound man stood up, and uh, I just went over, and the people around him, we started praying for him. And uh, he didn't tell us anything. All we knew was his name. It was Lou, because he had a little name badge. And so all of us just started praying for Lou. And uh, as we were praying... There was this thing that I really wanted to say to him, but I didn't know if it was for him or or if I was just kind of making it up. And uh, I remember uh, a couple years ago, uh, Pastor Andy uh, teaching about prophecy, and he said, you know, we shouldn't say, uh, this is a word from the Lord, but we should say, you know, things like, "I I think God might be saying to you. And so I had this thing inside of me, and I I just felt like I had to share it. So I said to Lou, I said, Lou, I don't don't know if this makes any sense, uh, but I feel like God is saying to you that his spirit is like cool, refreshing water. And you're supposed to drink from the spirit every single day. That you're supposed to 
wake up early in the morning and read your Bible and worship and, and pray, and you're supposed to, in the evenings, again, worship and pray, and that you're just supposed to drink from the Spirit every day. And this is how you're going to go on. This is how you're going to continue on. Um, and then I kind of just left, and, and, uh, uh, and then after the, the <clears throat> session was all over, Lou actually came to find me. And one, I don't know how he found me because his eyes were closed the whole time. So <laughs> I don't know who he knew said that. But he came and found me, and he said, you know that thing you said? Everything was just so spot on. He said, I pastor a church called uh, Living Waters Vineyard. And he said, the symbolism of just the spirit being like water and drinking from him, it was just so right and so for me. And he said, and actually, me and my wife, we, me and my wife, we just had a conversation and we were wondering, how are we going to continue on in ministry? How are we going to continue to pour out? Um, how are we going to fill ourselves? And, and what you said about just drinking from the spirit every day. He said it was just so right for me, and, and he, gave me, he gave me this big bear hug, and uh, I, I was just, I, one, I was thankful that, yeah, I was just thankful that God had used something that was just inside. I didn't know if it was for him, but I said it, and it ended up being a massive encouragement to him. Uh, and that second story of prophecy, um, it happened on the second to last day of the conference. Um, I had, I'd met a guy named uh, Ron Joe. And we had prayed each, for each other a couple times. And uh, it was the Thursday evening session. So there's Thursday evening, and then the next day, Friday morning, was going to be the last day of the conference. So Thursday night, uh, we're praying for each other. And I asked Ronjo, is there anything that I can pray for you for? And so he says, well, uh, basically, he said, you know, I'm a, I'm a pastor, uh, but I'm also working on my Ph.D., because you know, I have this passion about um, like evangelism and, and cross-cultural missions, because he was originally from India, and he was pastoring a church in like Albuquerque or somewhere. Um, so he, he was studying his PhD. Um, he had four kids. Um, his wife felt a call to preach, but because of the kids, she couldn't really devote time to that. And then they, he also said that him and his wife also had this huge passion and dream for church planning one day, but but they don't know when that's gonna happen. And so he said to me, you know, I'd love prayer. Just what do we do with all these things? So um, I said, okay, let's, let's pray. And so I put my hand on Ronjo and uh, I closed my eyes. And this is, I, can, I think never happened to me before, maybe once or twice. Uh, but as, when I closed my eyes, I, I had this clear image in my mind. And what I saw was a cross-section of soil, of earth, and I saw these big seeds in the soil. And then I just started telling Ronjo what I was seeing, and I said, Ronjo, like, I'm seeing this soil, I'm seeing these big seeds in the ground, and I, and I feel like these seeds are the dreams and passions that you and your wife have, and that God has planted these seeds um, in soil, and then I saw like just a hand, like an, or an arm. And I saw this arm pouring water over these seeds. And I said, I just feel like Jesus is, is watering these seeds 
And, you know, sometimes seeds take a long time to grow, um, but I can see, you know, little shoots coming out, and I just feel like God's saying that he's going to cause these dreams that you and your wife have to grow in his time. And I could tell that, you know, as he was receiving prayer, it, it was meaningful to him. So I gave that word, and then, you know, Thursday night ends, and, and that was that. So the next day, uh, Friday morning, is the last uh, day of the conference, and the worship leader um, kind of just stops the, the worship set, and she says, you know, as I was praying, uh, I really felt like God wanted us to sing this song as we go out. And she said, you know, I'm sorry, I know probably most of you don't know this song, but I, I just really feel like this is a song we're supposed to sing. So she starts singing this song, and the words are on the screen, and the song begins by saying, you have planted dreams in the good soil of my heart. I know it's just a start. Give me patience. Pour over these seeds the water of your plans. My life is in your hands. And when I saw those words, the song was basically the image I had the night before. I, was, I had goosebumps. I was kind of just in shock like, because like, the song was basically exactly what I had told Ronjo. And I, I don't know where he was. It was a big... Um, it was a big church, and it was probably like 1,500 people. But I can only imagine what Ronjo was thinking as he heard that song. And I can only imagine the encouragement that he and his wife would receive through this gift of prophecy. And so the spiritual gift of... Sorry, that was a long little uh, aside, but the spiritual gift of prophecy is still operating in the church today. And there's no biblical argument um, that says that, well, some gifts stopped, and, but others remain. There's no biblical argument that can be made. And uh, I've experienced God use prophecy um, to encourage and bless his people. Uh, the Spirit has also shown me through the years that God still heals people today. Um, I've met and heard stories from people who were healed by God. And in this very church at Granville Chapel, I've spoken to several people who have experienced God's love and mercy through being healed of some sort of illness or disease or, or chronic pain. Now, of course, not everyone is healed, and the scripture doesn't say that everyone will be healed. Even Lazarus, who was raised from the dead by Jesus, eventually he also passed away. And so the ultimate healing uh, for all of us is still to come. It's in the new heavens and the new earth. But healing is a spiritual gift that is talked about in the Bible. And throughout the centuries and throughout the history of the church, God has healed people and, and God is still healing people today. And this last one uh, might seem a bit strange to talk about, but the Spirit also began to show me the reality of spiritual warfare and demons and evil spirits. I have seen and witnessed people under the oppression of, of demonic 
uh, forces and evil spirits. And I've also seen the tragic consequences of what happens when the church ignores this reality. And I know that the notion of, of demons and evil spirits might seem ridiculous to us in our modern age. After all, how can we as educated, scientifically informed, rational people believe in such a ridiculous notion as demons? Well, I believe in the value of education and science, but I would argue that science has not closed the door to the spiritual realm. In fact, I would say that science leaves the door wide open for a reality that is beyond our physical world. And let's just dig into this a little bit because I think it's really important that we not be ashamed or think it foolish to believe in spiritual reality. So look at this quote uh, directly from the NASA government website, and it's regarding the nature of our universe. So this is directly from NASA. More is unknown than is known. We know how much dark energy there is because we know how it affects the universe's expansion. Other than that, it is a complete mystery, but it is an important mystery. It turns out that roughly 68% of the universe is dark energy. Dark matter makes up about 27%. The rest, everything on Earth, everything ever observed with all our instruments, all normal matter adds up to less than 5% of the universe. Let's just look at that last line again. It says, everything ever observed with all our instruments, it adds up to less than 5% of the universe. So we've learned a lot from science and technology, but our current level of knowledge is well short of understanding the full scope of our universe. We lack the tools and instruments to measure and understand things such as the spiritual realm and demons and evil spirits, but the Bible is clear about these realities. Casting out evil spirits and setting people free from the oppression of demons and Satan and his forces, they were an important part of Jesus' ministry, and it's an important work of the Spirit today that we as a church cannot and should not ignore. Now, why do I share about all of this? Why do I share about the power of the Spirit and about prophecy and about healing and about demons and evil spirits? I share about these things simply to say that there is more. I never knew or prayed for more of the Spirit's power or His presence until I first started meeting and talking to people who had experienced more than I had. And now that I've dipped my toes into the water and caught glimpses of the Spirit's power, I also just want to give witness and say that there is more. And our passage in Acts 4 shows us that it's okay for us as a church to ask for more. We can pray 
for greater boldness. We can pray for God to heal. We can pray even for God to do signs and wonders. And why do we pray for these things? Why should we pray for these things? Not for ourselves, but for the sake of the world. Jesus has given us the great commission to make disciples of all nations, to make the forgiveness and love and power of God known to the world. And the church in Acts 4 was keenly aware that if they ever hoped to accomplish this mission, they needed more of God's power. And so they prayed for more. And God responds by powerfully giving them a fresh outpouring of the Spirit. And so today, I would like to close our time this morning by giving us an opportunity to follow after the example of the early church in Acts 4. They realized their weakness And it says that they lifted up their voices together in prayer to God. They prayed together as a community. And so I want to give us some time and space to pray together this morning. And not in little groups, but as one group together, all of us. And let's not put any limits on what we pray for. Uh, Sure, we can pray for some of the things that we talked about this morning, but we can also pray for whatever else is the burden that the Spirit has placed on your heart for our church, for our city, and for our world, which is incredibly broken, and so many people are hurting right now. So let's bring our genuine and honest prayers to God, because again, our prayers matter and Jesus encourages us to always pray and to not give up.